want you to do me a favor. Uh, I want you to close your eyes for a moment as we read the creation narrative. And the reason I want you to close your eyes is to try to put yourself in a place where nothing existed. And then all of a sudden, something existed. So calm your mind. Open your heart that you might hear this narrative. Before anything existed, there was an amazing and mysterious being called God. God was it. There was nothing else except God. This soul being spoke and more came into existence. The first thing God created was the heavens and the earth, which was dark and formless, and prepared it as a place for life. The Spirit of God moved across the surface of the earth and was ready to create more, so God spoke more into existence. God made light, separating it from the darkness. God spoke, dividing the oceans and the sky. God gathered the waters so that dry land would appear. God spoke plants, flowers, and trees, all with seeds in them so that they could reproduce themselves. God created the sun, the moon, and the stars. Then set the days and the seasons into motion. God spoke and filled the seas with the fish, the sky with birds, the earth with all kinds of wild animals. God put great care and creativity into all his creation. God looked at it and said, This is really good. This is not the beginning. But simply the creation of the world. For before creation, there was God. You can open your eyes. You see, this is the narrative that was literally passed from generation to generation to generation until we begin to document it into something that we know as the book of Genesis. What's fascinating is there's actually two creation stories in the first two chapters of Genesis. Um, there's one in chapter 1 and one in chapter 2. And, and it's quite fascinating. And, and chapter 2 is what we're going to focus on this morning. So if you do have your Bibles, take a look at Genesis 2, uh, verse 4. Now, these two creation stories in Genesis are quite complexing. In fact, it's been argued over the centuries about why there is such great diversity within the stories. Uh, for one, there's this age-old argument that, that Genesis is this some book of, of, of a literal or figurative six days. And whether you take it as six literal days or you take it as six figurative days, what it represents is an indefinable God creating everything out of nothing. That's what the book of Genesis is about. That's what the creation story is about. It's about God doing a great miracle by putting all things into existence. What matters is not if it's figurative or literal. What matters is that God created. And the charge against these two stories that seem so diverse, in, in chapter 1 you have these six days that things are created, all these things are created in the order, and the last thing that God creates is mankind. The difference is in chapter 2, it actually says before God created the plants, before God created all the animals, God created a single man and placed him in a garden. Then God created the plants. Then God created the animals. What matters is the difference in these stories teach us something each different about God. 
Chapter 1 teaches us this profound message that there is this God that literally spoke life into existence. And chapter 2 is what we'll focus on this morning, which is a very deep and relational God breathes life into existence. So the second narrative is where we'll land our time this morning. Genesis chapter 2 verse 4 declares, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, no shrubs had yet appeared on the earth, and no plants had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But the streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being you see what's fascinating about our series that i hope you'll see hopefully we'll do a good job connecting is that each week connects within itself over the last two weeks we've been talking about what is this thing called the word of god and we've learned that the word of god is not just this physical book with a leather bound around it but the word of god actually is god Word of God is the breath of God. And that's what we see within this narrative, that God literally breathed life into existence. In the last two weeks, we've learned that that this is the nature of God. God is quite a fascinating and, and really a deep being that we can never understand. Think, for example, the nature of God. God is both Father, God is both Son, God is both Holy Spirit. Not three separate gods, but one God entangled into one. That is extremely fascinating to think about. And in addition, you think about this, is that we learn something about God and God's three natures. Is that God is a relational being. God is interconnected and interwoven within himself. And that's what we see within this narrative. That this creation is not just God breathing life into existence and putting things out there and then stepping away and being a distant distant God. But God is literally at work within this creation. God is a relational God. He's deeply interweaving himself in his creation creation in the heavens of the earth. And so Genesis 2 gives us a a deeper perspective into that. You see, Genesis 1 says that God spoke. Uh, The Hebrew word there is amar. It literally means God spoke a word. It came into existence. But Genesis chapter 2 gives us a much more intimate account. It says that God God breathed life into existence. That's a much more intimate perspective of God, that God's just not speaking, but God literally breathed life into existence. What does it say in chapter 2? It says that God breathed life into the lungs of humankind. The word used there is Adam. It literally means mankind, human beings. And so Genesis doesn't just tell us that God is creating all these things, but, but God is putting special focus into this thing called humankind. Genesis 1.27 tells us that God created us in God's image. Nothing else do we read in the creation narrative does it say that God created things in his image. Only humankind, only mankind, only this specific being known as Adam, humankind, does God put in his image. And on top of that, there is nothing more intimate that God can do than literally breathe into the lungs of this being. That tells us something fascinating about God. He's a relational God that's deeply connected with us. Take a look at verse 8. It says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. 
And there he put a man who he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grown out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eyes and good for food. In the middle of the garden, there was a tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Skip down to verse 15. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. So God doesn't just create this man, but God puts this man in paradise. We skipped over a few verses that talk about the fertility of this area because it it was surrounded by four different rivers. And so Eden is this amazing place. God continues to breathe life into this human being because God is literally providing this creature called Adam with everything that he needs. All the provisions, everything he needs is in this place. And so Eden, is it means a lot of things. It represents breath to, to mankind. It represents beauty and serenity. It represents the bounty of God. Eden was a place of joy and hope and wisdom and opportunity and love. And what we should begin to take shape and uh, understanding is that God desires to be a companion to this creation. God is not simply placing this man out there, breathing life into his existence, and then saying, go at it. God literally wants to be a companion with this human being. He's staying right there with him. He wants to be a a trust, a helper, a leader, a spiritual connectedness with this man. There's something so deep here. Do me a favor. Take out that balloon that you received. I want you to take a deep breath. And pinching that area where you hold the balloon. Make sure you hold it in place. The last thing we want to do is this balloon shooting this way. Take a deep breath in. I want you to breathe air into that balloon. Blow it up. And then pinch it shut. You can see why I went with white instead of a latex color. Now hold that balloon. What do you see? look into this balloon, you actually see nothing, right? But there's something that's there. The air that existed in your lungs literally filled this balloon into something that's unseen. You only know it is there because the balloon has taken shape around it. You've given this balloon something. You've given it something new. You've given it a new form. You've given it a greater mass. You have given that balloon life and purpose. And should hold on to that balloon and, and deflate it. You see, Genesis teaches us something powerful about God. is that God is breathing life into you. You cannot see God, but God literally is breathing life into your lungs. Some people in here have that dreaded fear of balloons popping. And I know you are on edge right now, including my wife who's in the back row. <laughs> You see, the life that was breathed into mankind, it was this beautiful pattern that God has done again and again and again. And even though we don't feel God's presence with us, even though we might not see or hear God around us, God is always close to us. God is always filling us with breath in our lungs. God is not this distant being that spun life into existence and then stepped back to watch creation happen. God is literally right there with us. The very act of drawing breath draws us closer to God. Take a deep breath in. And out. Breathing reminds us that God is present. 
That's some deep stuff if you really think about it. I could close it up and I could be content right there. God is present with us. Breathing life into our lungs to give us existence. God is there and Jesus says that God desires to give us daily bread. Jesus also describes the Holy Spirit as wind, as breath that fills our lives with all the grace and power and love that we need to be faithful to God. This is a powerful God that that is so close to his creation. It's a beautiful image of God. You see, God is a necessary companion for our journey to breathe life into existence. But the question I want you to wrestle with is, are you journeying with that God? Is God truly a companion in your day-to-day life? Is God the type of companion that you need to literally fill the lungs that you breathe in each and every day? Is that the type of companion you found in God? You see, each person, each path we will encounter within the scriptures, we will see that God was a necessary companion in their lives. God desires to journey with us. Are you journeying with God? Take a look at verse 18. It says, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought the man to see what he would name them, and whatever he called that living creature, that is what it's named. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky, and the wild animals. I love how God is observing that Adam, Adam, doesn't need to be alone. And so God begins to create and spin into existence all these creatures. And he gets the fun task of picking out the names for them. One of my favorite theologians gave this observation. She says, I'm imagining Adam hanging out in the garden and seeing other animals getting it on and being super confused. And so he asked God what was going on. Well, Adam, that's called reproduction. When a boy zebra loves a girl zebra very much, and Adam's eyes get really, really big. Oh, that sounds interesting. Can I have one? A girl zebra? God jokingly asked. No, not a girl zebra, just a girl. See, God is very observant within this narrative. That's what tells us that God is a companion. God is a relational being. He looks at Adam and he sees that this man is lonely. He needs a companion. And obviously animals are not going to suffice for that. And so God creates. Verse 20, it says, So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Hold on to that phrase. So the Lord God caused the man to fall in a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, then closed up the place where the flesh was. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, Now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken. Out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Guys, just remember we have a whole text here. I know all the guys heard the word naked, and all of a sudden they got really distracted. They were naked, and they felt no shame. How awesome is that? It's a fascinating story. There's a key phrase I want you to, to see here. It says that, that God said he didn't have a suitable helper. It's the Hebrew phrase, Ezer Kenegdav. It literally means one who is a strong aid, one who is in desperate need of. See, God looks at us and he sees that, that this man, this creature, needed a companion, needed someone to journey alongside him, needed someone who could be right there with him. What we learn is that God has created us to journey with others. 
We're not made to journey in this life alone. We are made to journey with other people. So God created this other to exist with Adam, a suitable helper, someone who could journey with life, someone who he could experience companionship with. And it worked. It's exactly what Adam needed. He created Eve out of all these things. You see, a relational God understands the vitality of companionship. There is never a time that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been apart. So why, as God creates his identity into us, would we be a people who don't need companions in life's journey? You see, we're designed to journey with others. Take out your balloon for just a second. I know it's going to be really gross and wet. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the bulky end away from the blowing hole. I want you to squeeze it with your hand. Put your mouth on the hole and blow as hard as you can. Unless you have the feeble grasp of an infant and the massive hands of a giant, you should have nothing should have happened with that balloon. You see, oftentimes that's what life is like. We're gonna need Paul to get some oxygen over here. Life is a struggle. How many of us in, in life have ever felt like we've been at the place where it feels like someone is just gripping us from keeping to be able to fill our lungs with the capacity that we need to live and to take a breath for that moment? There is stress. There is burdens. There is heartache. There is disappointment. There is loss in our life. And oftentimes, it's just like that. We can't find breath in our lungs. That's one of the reasons we see and know that God designed us to journey with other people is to have companions who help us along the way. It's very key that God is saying, I see there's not a suitable helper, someone to be a companion to this man, someone to journey alongside him, someone to bear the burdens that he is bearing. You see, that's what God designed us to be companions, to be helpers of each other, to journey in life together, to share in our struggles together. You see, the Hebrew phrase is so intentional here. It says that Adam needed a suitable helper. It didn't say that Adam needed a sex object. It didn't say he needed someone to pick up and off again whenever he wanted to companion with this person. It didn't say he just needed someone just to be there when he needed it. It said he needed a suitable helper. A person literally that stands beside him is a companion to him in life. We need companions of help in our life. We need people who can breathe life into us, who can encourage us in the most dark times. As one author put it, we hunger for this today, cooperating together, meshing, working as if we are climbing a mount together, ascending the peak of our dream, holding on to each other at the end of the day. God has planted this deep hunger within us. It's a hunger of companionship, to do something significant together. And according to God's word, we are joined together in companionships to make a difference. To make a difference. Madison has uh, reached this age where she's able to play a bit more advanced games than uh, Disney Princess Candyland and Shoots and Ladders. Though I still like playing those games because those are actually on my middle capacity, which is really great. Uh, for Christmas, one of our family members gave her the game uh, Jenga. We actually have it for the kids in the past. You know what I'm talking about? It's the, uh, it's the stack of blocks, stack three together, perpendicular to each other. The point of the game is to pull a block out, to put it on top. And if you're the person that pulls out a block and puts it on top and it falls, you lose, right? 
So I'm trying to teach Madison how to play this game. And the first couple times we were playing, you know, uh, she would pull it out and I would see it was about to tumble, so I would hold it to there. You know, I didn't want her to lose real quick, but more importantly, those things take forever to stack. Have you ever tried to stack those things, like, perfectly together? And if you're OCD, you really want them to be perfect together. Not making a confession or anything, but I wanted that to be perfect. And so I would help her along the way. And by the time we got to the second or third game, she started catching on to it. But then she looks at me and she asked me if I can pull the pieces out for her. And I start finding myself doing it. Now, on one hand, yes, I'm teaching her how to play the game. But on the other hand, if you really think about it, I'm not letting her learn how to play the game. I'm not letting her experience the game. You see, that's the type of companionships we need in our life. We need people who are right there with us, who let us experience life, who let us fall when we need to, who let us experience hurt and disappointment and mistakes in our life. But we need partners who can reciprocate that love and that grace and that mercy and that help that we need in our life. Is that the type of companions you have in your life? Are those the types of friendships that you have? Reciprocal partners, reciprocal companions. You see, many of us, we do really good at taking, 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 taking in a relationship, and we never, ever give. For many of us, we are the giver, the giver, the giver, the giver, and both of those things are draining to our soul. And what this teaches us is that Eve was not under Adam. Eve was an equal partner. They shared life together. It was a reciprocal companionship that they have. These are the types of friendships we need in our life. People who can be companions, who can help us, who can support us in life, who give and take within that. That's why Adam says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. You see, we need reciprocal companions. We need people who can help challenge us in our relationships and our habits, who can help evaluate our tendencies to either give and take and, and come away with a more informed and honest perspective of who we are and how we journey with other people. You see, we need this type of blessing in our life to have reciprocal companionships, a space of trust and mutualness of love. And the last thing I want us to take away from this text is that we see that there's a deeper connection here. It's not literally just bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. What we see is that there is this deep spiritual connection between these two individuals and their God. You see, we are created by a spiritual being who made us in his own image. Therefore, we are spiritual people. And the companionships we have need to be deeply rooted in the spirit of who we are. You see, Eden gives us a lot of different things. It gives us one relationship. Some of us would label that relationship as marriage. And for many of us, not all of us, we will experience that kind of long partnership. A marriage is a partnership more than just of romance. It requires a higher level of reciprocal uh, communication and selflessness and accountability and individuality and mutuality and Christ-like love. But then that's not what it's all about. It's also about companionships, deep-rooted friendships that you and I need each and every day. That's why Eden teaches us about being these types of companions. It teaches us that God desires for us to be deeply connected with others, sharing with others, bearing the burden with others, giving of God's love to others. And God also teaches us in this moment that we need deeply rooted spiritual companions in our life to help connect us to the God who has created us and breathed life into us. See, God created us as spiritual beings so that we could share in, in God's connectedness. That God can fuel our companionships. That our relationships can point us to a greater being that is God. 
And so God, in our relationship, gives us opportunities to be people of love and grace and hope and joy and goodness. John writes this very perfectly in one of his letters. He says, God's love is made complete in us when we love one another. Really think about that for just a second. When you and I love each other, God's love is made complete in us. That is a deep spiritual connection. And the greatest companionship that God has given us in this life is the church. Think about that for just a second. The church is supposed to embody all the things that we see in Adam and Eve. It is a reciprocal partnership. It is a partnership of help. It is a fellow journey person, companion in this life. But it's also the deep spiritual relationships we desire and need for us. That's the church. We need the church. We need companions. We need spiritual companions. We need the church. And I'm grateful for the beautiful mess that is the church. For far too many, the church has become a consumer product. And what has, what has happened as a result of this is it creates three major paradigm shifts in our life. The first is a loss of, of a sense of loyalty to a community of people. It's so easy because when there's literally 100 other churches in your town, you can literally jump from church to church to church. And there's no sense of deep loyalty there. The other thing that's happened with this sense of consumerism within the church is it's created this individualistic faith journey. Why do I need this community of people when I can read and interpret what God desires for my life? Me being the key word there. And there's a loss of a sense of... Of a deep commitment to people. We need the church. So I, I, I urge you, I implore you to re- rebel against the consumer paradigm. And invest in a local community. That there's a people that you can journey with. That God can touch your life through them. That you can touch others' lives through them. We need the church. And yes, the church is full of broken people. That's why the church is such a beautiful mess. At the end of the day, the church is not run by people. The church is is run by a perfect being in Jesus Christ. We need the church. The church is a place to be a companion to us. I need it. Do you need it? Last time I want you to do this, pull out the balloon for me. I want you to take a really deep breath and I want you to blow that sucker up. Not literally blow it up, but blow deep into it. Pinch the valve so it doesn't go anywhere. See, at the beginning of our conversation, we observed and looked deeply into that balloon to see that though we cannot see it, there is literally life within there. You have given it form. But the one thing we haven't focused on is the actual balloon itself. The latex. Here is an object that is designed to be both big and small, can be both full and empty, yet the purpose of that object is not fulfilled until it captures air, until it floats, until it bounces. You see, air cannot serve its purpose without the balloon capturing it and using it, and the balloon cannot serve its purpose unless it has air within it. You see, there's a deep connectedness with the balloon and the oxygen it holds. It's really quite philosophical and poetic when you think about it. You see, our lives cannot exist without the God who breathes love and life into our bodies. And what we see from the Garden of Eden is a perfect example that you and I cannot exist unless we are breathing love and life into other people's lives. This is going to be really challenging coming up. 
Adam and Eve going to goof up big time, going to get booted out of the garden. More importantly, they're going to get booted out of nakedness, which is really disappointing. They needed love and life to breathe into each other's existence. You see, the companionships you have, both within this congregation, both within the marriages you have, both in all the friendships you have, it cannot exist unless each person is breathing life and love into it. And that capacity, that capacity of love, that capacity of grace, that capacity of hope and joy cannot come from you, but it must come from the God that you journey with that continues to breathe life and existence into you. Are you journeying with that God? Are you saying yes to that God who desires to take you on a road of an adventure? To find a life that you cannot find apart from Him. Let's pray together.